by me understanding what's happening at the right time, I'm able to stay one step ahead of everyone. And also it makes me seem to be a lot more innovative because I'm not afraid to take that risk. How's it going guys and welcome to another episode of Secrets of Silent Success. Today we have the one and only Romy Antoine of One Stop Wellness. How are you doing this afternoon? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll jump right into it. So you're a trainer, coach, nutritionist, and you had uh, one of your clients who was, you know, having some struggles when the, the wellness department due to the demand and the rigor of a corporate job. And you really coached and helped her back to wellness. And she was like, you know, hey, can you come and teach this at my job? And you're like, of course I can, right? Yeah. So talk to me about that, being a millennial consultant, a millennial expert, and really seeing that, hey, it's a gap here in the corporate market and then filling that gap. Sure. Um, so when I started out as a nutritionist and trainer, she really came to me because she was traveling back and forth from Philly to San Francisco multiple times a month. And she started hating how she felt and looked. Yeah. I think she gained over 20 pounds in a couple of months. Wow. So as we started working together, she started to love the results she was having. And um, she asked me to come to her company and do a workshop and got approval from her boss. And at that time, I didn't even realize there was an industry around this corporate wellness. Yeah. So I came in, I did this workshop for her and her company, and I started to get more clients from that. Yeah. <laughs> so initially I was using it as a way to get more clients as a trainer, but then I came across a business coach who told me if I really wanted to scale and make more money, I should start selling to the companies, not to individuals. Mm -hmm. So that one workshop led to me doing multiple workshops at companies companies around the country and I started to realize there was a bigger industry of this and I eventually packaged it all together into the early stages of One Stop Wellness. And that was just me doing speaking engagements and consulting and workshops. And I remember one day I was driving in the car and on the radio I heard someone saying that companies were paying millennial experts. Yeah. about $20,000 an hour for consulting on wow. how do you work with millennials and I didn't think anything of it but I continue hearing millennial experts over and over. So later that day I went on to LinkedIn and I changed my profile to <laughs> millennial expert yeah. and within days of doing that companies started reaching out to me, calling me, trying wow. to book me to do presentations for them on how to engage millennials. Yeah. And I even do a single presentation at the time. It was just my LinkedIn title. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that and eventually I was able to start putting all those workshops together and turning that into my first book, The Ultimate Guide to Engaging Millennials. And that's really how I got started from personal training into corporate wellness and then more of the speaking side of uh, corporate wellness. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, hearing something on the radio to changing your LinkedIn bio to building a book in the business sounds almost intuitive, if you will. Did you always have that entrepreneurial bug? Like what made you, because most people hear the radio and don't think like that, right? But what made you go from hearing the radio to make me change my LinkedIn to take it to a business? Well, I heard $20,000 an hour, <laughs> first of it, all, right? but yeah, my entire life I was always an entrepreneur even from when I was a kid I was selling Pokemon cards and toys and I yeah. remember even in high school 
one day me and my friend bought all the Gatorades out of the vending machine <laughs> so that we could sell them for more money. Yeah. So things like that, I always found a way to get something and then make a profit off of it. I remember even buying iPods on eBay and reselling yeah. it. So that was always something I had a knack for. Yeah. And as it continued into college, I was renting out clubs and ballrooms and throwing my own parties, making lots of money with my friends rather than going somewhere and the club is paying you as a promoter. I sure. was I was in control of all the money. Yeah. So it was just always natural for me. And I just really need to find a way to scale what I was doing mm -hmm. around some of my passions. Gotcha, gotcha. So you talked about workshops, consulting, books. Um, there's a quote that you have that says, you know, 90% of the opportunities that you have gotten has been from someone you've talked to somewhere about something, but that's only half the work, right? Once you get in the door, you still have to plan and put the work in. Can you tell me about that quote? Sure. I feel like a lot of the things that I've accomplished and I've done throughout my life weren't really because of luck or chance. Sure. It's just been, I've been in the right place at the right time and made sure I speak to people. I don't just go in there, walk in and walk out. I really look around the room and see who I can talk to and who mm -hmm. I can add value to. And I've gotten lots of opportunities and I know I learned this the hard way the first time. I remember someone booking me for this really intensive three-day workshop mm -hmm. and I agreed to do it until I got the list of things I actually had to do and I realized <laughs> it was way more work than I was expecting. Sure. So. I realized I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was, mm -hmm. and I still did it, and it worked out. But from there, I realized I need to always be prepared for whatever situation might come my way. So from then on, I continued to learn as much as I could about my industry. I read every single book, and after reading one of those books, I reached out to the author on LinkedIn, and she was one of the leaders in workplace wellness and she literally gave me the blueprint of what she did when she started. Wow. So her experience was more as a speaker in corporate wellness, but she mm -hmm. told me step by step, here's the organizations you should talk to, yeah. here's who you should meet, here are the conferences. A year later, me and her are speaking at the same conference oh, together. Wow. wow. And I actually ran into her a couple of weeks ago in New York. Yeah. And I haven't seen her in about five years. I, told her about my progress over the last five years. Yeah. And it was really because she showed me how to get from point A to point B. Yeah. But also it's really just knowing what you want from the beginning. So mm -hmm. going into an opportunity saying, all right, here's the outcome I'm looking for. And then I work backwards. Sure, on sure. Who Reverse I need to speak engineer. to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really what helped me to always be prepared and mm -hmm. just always staying ahead of the game. Because I learned just from my dad he always told me it's not really about who you know all the time, but if you always have your education and you're always reading and you're knowledgeable about something, you'll get those opportunities. Yeah. So I made sure I was always learning. Gotcha, gotcha. I think it's an interesting point that she made about just reaching out to this author, this book when she probably had no obligation to reply to you, but she did, and it ended up almost being kind of a mentor-type relationship to help you go from point A to point B. I know with me personally, I've had it so many times where whether it's a DM on Instagram, whether it's a, a instant message on LinkedIn, or just a random cold email that turns into something completely fruitful. Yeah. Tell me, what took, you know, how do you get the courage or the, 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 the ability to just reach out to people like that to, to try to build a relationship? 
I think that really comes down to the worst thing they could do is say no. Sure. So she said no, I'm sure there's someone else that will say yes. Mm -hmm. And the thing that really is how I got the courage wasn't I was confident that she would answer me. Mm -hmm. She might have just given me one or two questions. But when I started one of my first companies, which was my uh, fitness coaching business, and even just to get writers onto the blog, I would create a script where I would reach out to all these influencers in the fitness space mm -hmm. and just outlining what I thought was great about their work and how they connect with their audience. And I probably sent that script to 300 people and I'd be happy if 10 people said yes, they'd yeah. like to write on my blog. Yep. So I think just doing that over the years and over time, I got more comfortable with it and just asking for what I need. Because yeah. then I feel that most opportunities you get is only because you ask for them. No mm -hmm. one's just going to come and give you something if you don't ask. Absolutely. So you can't be scared to ask. Gotcha, gotcha. So you are the CEO and co-founder of One Stop Wellness, uh, a digital platform that are helping uh, employees build healthy habits, but also helping employers. So tell me a little bit about the digital platform, how it came about, and what you guys are doing. Yeah, so One Stop Wellness really started out when I was working with that client, as I mentioned sure. before. So it really started with me doing small workshops, so teaching people how you can create a healthy culture at work, how can you add exercise to your day without doing anything outside of work. So that might be to using the stairs instead of the elevator or yeah. parking a little further from the office. Mm -hmm. And from there, I started to speak at some of the conferences and started to get recognition. So I was working with the American Heart Association and the National Wellness Institute. But still at that time, I wasn't thinking the bigger picture. Yeah. And it probably was a year later, I ended up doing my first pitch competition okay. where one Stop Wellness was all service-based, mm -hmm. so there was no app involved, no technology. But I saw some of the competitors in the space and that they had technology, so my plan was to do what I was currently doing with my services and also contract out services from other coaches or whoever can mm -hmm. do these workshops. And I would use one of these apps, so I would uh, use them, white label another app mm -hmm. and use it for One Stop Wellness. So after this pitch competition, I met someone who told me there's no way I can really scale what I'm doing by offering services. It's going to be way too hard to manage all these different people and coaches. Mm -hmm. You might have people signed up to go to one location and they don't show up. Then what do you do? Sure. He told me if I really wanted to make it happen, I'd have to go into tech. Mm -hmm. And at the time in building that, I still knew very little about actually coding or doing anything on that side yeah. so I had to start learning more around the technology aspect of what I wanted to do and how we can get there mm -hmm. and through that I realized I had friends from Silicon Valley in San Francisco who they were really deep into tech mm -hmm. and I started to reach out to them and they started to tell they started to tell me exactly what I need to do and things to really watch out for when sure. building out an app but it was interesting because when we really started with One Stop Wellness, I wanted to build this app and I started looking at all the competitors and I was doing this with all my money. So all the money I was making as a trainer and consultant was mm -hmm. going towards One Stop Wellness. Yep. So there was no investors, none of that. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting, if you go back three or four years prior to me starting it, 
Me and my friend took a trip to San Francisco for a startup marketing conference. Yeah. And we just thought we were having a good time. We are meeting all these people. We were at these pitch competitions at Stanford, and we didn't realize that all these companies were successful because they were getting money from investors. Mm. We, just, we were just there. We, didn't, we had no clue, and it's not something we learned growing up. Sure. Because sure. it wasn't an option growing up as a career choice, especially in my family, is you know, be a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure. Yeah. So I never knew there was an opportunity in tech until later on. Mm -hmm. So I met someone at that conference, and we became friends. And when I realized I did need to raise money to grow the company, I reached out to him mm -hmm. for some advice on putting my pitch together. And about five minutes into that pitch, yeah. he said, I'll give you the money. And wow. he put the first money into the company. Mm -hmm. And now he's my co-founder, and he's still working with me today. Wow, wow. Now that's an awesome story. So really, a wellness service, right, has transitioned into a wellness and tech brand, if you will. Um, you talked about, as a, as a black man in tech, there's some challenges with funding, right, with having connections to venture capital. Tell me about some of those challenges, how to overcome them, and how can we get more diversity in tech? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is the funding aspect. Because when you look at all the funds in venture capital, less than 2% are actually going to black people and minorities. Wow. And that's really because if you look at all the funds out there, the majority of them are run by the same people. So mm -hmm. they're usually white people who went to Harvard or Stanford and yeah. they're really just giving money out to founders and friends within their network. So if mm -hmm. you're not part of that network, you have no clue what's going on or how to reach out to them. Sure. And until I started to build that network, it, it was almost impossible to raise money while building my company. I'm looking at other people who are starting after me, raising 15, 20 million dollars in a matter of months, whereas just to get my first $10,000 took me almost nine months. Mm -hmm. And once I really understood how it all worked, I made sure to make friends and connections within that space and really be present at a lot of these events with the investors, making sure that they, they're seeing me, where I'm going, my progress, even if they're not gonna write me a check, is really updating them, so letting them know exactly what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, and some of the traction we're getting. And the other thing about that, with raising money, a lot of, a lot of the investors, they don't wanna be rude or sound mean, so they might say, I think you have a great idea, but it's not the right time for you. And that's really their way of saying no. Yeah, yeah. So you have to really understand how to tell if someone's not interested and uh, when to move on. Otherwise, an investor might drag you along for years sure. and you never get money. So I'd say the first part would be just building that network mm -hmm. so you have access to these investors. The second part in diversity in tech also has to do with the same thing, as I mentioned, most black people, we don't grow up knowing that you can be a video game designer or yeah. software developer. I played video games my whole life, but I never yeah. thought I could actually make these games. Sure. And there was a whole industry around that. It just never crossed my mind because growing up, I just thought I'd be a doctor. Yeah, yeah. You only know what you're exposed to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't until I was exposed to it when I took that trip to San Francisco I realized there's people building all these crazy things 
that I could possibly be a part of. And my other experience, my only experience prior to that was just watching people on Shark Tank. Sure. And that's <laughs> a slightly different model of what I'm doing on the startup side. So I think just creating more, I think it's more about creating opportunities for blacks and minorities in tech, whether it's creating coding workshops, mm -hmm. uh, getting mentorship and having more programs and access and probably bringing that into the school systems, whereas you growing up most of your life, you're not realizing any of this until later on mm -hmm. and watching people go way further past you because you didn't realize that these opportunities existed. Sure. So yeah, with the, the lack of diversity in tech and in many industries across our country, you talk about that diversity in your background is kind of your superpower because that helps you have change and have innovation. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I remember reading a quote. I don't remember who wrote this quote, but they said the only way to create innovation is when you bring together people from different backgrounds and experiences. Otherwise, it's going to continue to be the same. Sure. And I think having a different experience from a lot of the other people in tech is really what's been helping me because I'm seeing things from a different perspective and understanding, whereas everyone thinks, okay, you have to build everything this way, you have to follow these processes. My brain works a little differently because I started out in from the science field, so mm -hmm. I have a different type of way I like to do things using more of the scientific method sure. and also more creative. I grew up playing the piano for eight years so finding out different ways to get to the same answer is really what helped me. And when I was able to start using all those tools from my experiences in education, I was able to create different solutions to what I was building. And I think unless you have more of that and more diversity, having people from different schools and backgrounds, nothing's ever going to change. Because, in, Especially in tech, most of the people are coming from Harvard, Stanford, and a lot of the Ivy League schools. And I remember meeting someone who told me, it was an investor who told me, I'm going to have a hard, hard time raising money unless I have a Harvard MBA. Hmm. They're not going to really look at me or take me seriously. Yep. And in order to really get taken seriously, I need to bring on a co-founder with one of those degrees. And I thought he was right at the time, but I didn't end up doing that. Mm -hmm. And I just continued my way. And so far, it's been working. Gastric, Gastric, if you can, dive a little bit deeper into your where you talked about using the scientific method or going against the established norms of, hey, you do have to have that Harvard MBA. How are you doing it different for your product and service? So I went into an industry, so corporate wellness is mostly HR workers. Mm -hmm. And that industry is mostly older women, so in their 50s and up. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, in my late 20s, a uh, black guy. Mm -hmm. So completely different than most of them. They have the experience sure. from corporate HR. Yep. I'm coming in with the experience as a personal trainer, mm -hmm. with a biology degree. Mm -hmm. So my experience was more working directly with clients on behavior change, improving their lifestyles versus the roles and structures within a company. Okay. So doing that, I was already different speaking at the conferences, but people liked me because I had different ideas from what they had. Sure. Whether that was around 
nutrition exercise tips, but also showing companies how they can create a better culture without using the same tips and strategies they were using in the past. Sure. So making work more fun and creative versus being super structured. And although there's people who've been in the industry for decades, they didn't agree with my methods. A lot of the newer people coming up really thought it was a great idea and they started to implement that. So as I branded myself as a millennial expert, people started reaching out to me for help. Sure. Because if you Googled millennial expert at the time, so this was maybe 2016, mm -hmm. everyone that comes up isn't a millennial. <laughs> and I, pr I was the only millennial that was talking about millennials. Yep. So rather than having someone on the outside looking in, I was saying, here's the key values for millennials. Here's what we're looking for within our job. And that experience is what these companies were looking for at the time. Yep. So you talk about having you know, a different way of looking at things, whether the methods that you were providing, a digital platform. So you're selling oftentimes an intangible product and service, right? So tell me some tips of, of promoting that intangible product or service and how do you uh, show the efficacy to your, to your potential clients? So although it's an intangible product, it has tangible results. Okay. So employees are logging in to track their health, track their steps, whether they're connecting their wearable devices like Fitbits, they can also do virtual classes, so learning how to cook a different recipe or do a workout or a meditation. So as they're doing this, they're engaging more and more with their well-being, and they're doing it on their own time. So overall, they end up seeing changes and improvements into their health. So they might see their blood pressure dropping or their body fats decreasing or they're getting happier and healthier at work. So those results are tangible. Yep. And then with the companies, as they're seeing their employees get healthier and happier, they're seeing productivity increase. Yep. And I think that's really how you're able to sell a product such as mine to show here's the actual results. And a story I have about that is one of our clients, they came to us because they were a tech company. Mm -hmm. Most of the employees were sitting at their chairs all day typing. Mm -hmm. And they also had a high diabetic population. Wow. And within the first year of working with us, we were able to put on an on-site health fair where they were doing blood work. So through a finger stick, they were able to track their, their blood sugar, their cholesterol, and all these other metrics. And that company is mostly millennials. So there are a lot of employees in that company who they would never go to the doctor. They thought they were healthy. and. Yep. <laughs> Their doctor was just Google or WebMD. Sure. And through our app and doing all the different screenings, one employee was actually able to realize that they had an AFib problem and get the help they needed. And had they not used our app to start tracking everything, mm -hmm. untreated AFib could have led to a stroke. Wow. And that entire process saved that company over $50,000 in just that one claim that yep. might have happened. And overall, we're able to reduce their insurance costs by about 12% that year. So companies like seeing the increase in productivity, decrease yep. in their insurance costs, and now they can reallocate some of that money to different, other, different areas in the company because when they really break it down, the cost of using my platform is only a fraction of the cost they're paying in terms of the savings of insurance. 
So I was watching an interview and you talked about it's not just about the health screenings, right? It's about having practical and tactical things to improve your health. That's what makes you all different. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, you really did your research. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, when I look at all of my competitors, well, a majority of them, they're all about these know your numbers campaigns. So they want employees to know their blood pressure, their cholesterol, their BMI. But what happens is the employees get this information, usually on a sheet of paper, yeah. a bunch of numbers, and they don't know what these numbers mean. Or so, the words. Yeah, Next exactly. The numbers. <laughs> yeah. So they, they get that, they look at it, and they might say, oh, my blood sugar is really high. And then they throw out that paper and yeah. never look at it again. And that's just a cycle that goes on and on. Every single year this happens and there's no change. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing a little differently is we're focusing on health literacy. Yep. And I know health literacy is a major problem because prior to starting One Stop Wellness, I was dealing with my mom who was battling bile duct cancer. Wow. And I remember there was a time when the doctor told her she would have a personal nurse to come to the house so she wouldn't have to go back and forth to the hospital. So I thought, and she also thought that it was something good. Mm -hmm. It would be saving her time from having to travel so much. However, we realized she was placed on hospice. Wow. So there's a disconnect between what the doctors are telling the patients sometimes and what they're understanding. Mm -hmm. And from there, I started to do more research and realized that over 50% of US adults lack health literacy and health literacy is just your ability to understand health education. So it could, could just be understanding how to read a prescription bottle or yeah. how to read a nutrition label or just the instructions your doctor is giving you. Mm -hmm. And I knew that would really help me to differentiate myself from the industry. So yeah. not just helping people get those numbers and track everything, but now that you have the numbers, here's how you can make those changes. So. Here's what those numbers mean. Yep. Here's what you can do to improve your lifestyle and giving them a step-by-step -step plan to see improvement. Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, I hear pain points as an entrepreneur. So that's on the employee side of things. Like, hey, here's the numbers. Here's how to improve those numbers. Let's break it down. Let's improve your, your literacy in the health realm. But also, in the previous question, you talked about bringing these insurance claims down. And I know that's probably a big pain point for those employers. One of our clients on the media side of things is the largest um, private insurance broker in the country. And that's all we hear about is how to get these claims down. What was your thought process and, and how are you talking to these clients, these employers, to, to make it worthwhile to bring your product and service on. Like, hey, this is the pain point. This is how we can improve these insurance claims, things like that. You talk about one person, $50,000. Some of these organizations got thousands of employees. That's a huge savings for them. There's a few pain points for these companies. One is health insurance and it's continuing to rise. And we want to focus on millennials, so companies with high millennial population mm -hmm. and there's a statistic by Blue Cross that said one in four older millennials, so born after 1988, report having at least one chronic condition. Wow. And the chronic conditions are the ones that cost the most money. Mm -hmm. So that's the first pain point. The second one we found is the HR's time. Because they're running wellness programs they might have to handle 
employee complaints and all the other HR tasks. So having to do a new program is going to take up a lot of their time. Mm -hmm. So we realized by automating a lot of those processes and giving them tools and resources, we can free up a lot of their time. So now they're not worrying about running and managing a wellness program because we're doing the work. So we like to call that our fractional wellness officer service. Okay. And the third pain point is in turnover and retention. Gotcha. So now you have healthier and happier employees. Yep. They're going to stay at the company longer because they see the company's actually investing in their well-being. They care sure. about them. Yep. So they're going to be more productive and turnover rates aren't going to be as high as before. And also now they're engaging more into their health, understanding yep. what's driving their health. Yep. So now their health insurance costs might go down. Yep. So what we're really selling is a tool to help the companies reduce their costs by getting the employees healthier. Yeah. And a lot of companies don't realize that insurance companies rather have the employees get healthier because now they don't have to pay out these large claims. Mm -hmm. So some of them are actually giving the companies money to invest in wellness programs yep. to prevent them from paying out these larger claims. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, we've been able to, on average, save companies about 12%. So I know you were one of seven selected for uh, Amazon's first ever Black Founders Alexa cohort. Can you talk to me about that recognition, what it means for your business, how did you feel to, to be recognized? Yeah, I was really excited to find out about that because it's with Amazon, sure, one sure. of the biggest companies in the world. So Amazon created this cohort of seven black startups across North America, so not just the U.S. Wow. There's a few of us in the US and then also some startups in Canada. Gotcha. And their goal was to integrate voice technology, so voice AI using Alexa mm -hmm. into our platforms to improve the user experience, to simplify some processes. So basically creating an appless interface where people can ask for things that they would do commonly on the app mm -hmm. through their voice. And we saw this as a great opportunity because using voice AI in healthcare would be huge. Because mm -hmm. you have to think about people who don't want to be glued to their phones or on a sure. computer, and they might want to get information regarding their blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. So if they're wearing a, a glucose monitor, they can say, Alexa, Ask One Stop Wellness what's my most recent blood sugar reading. Sure. And then get the important information, whether that might be some tips on how you can raise your blood sugar or lower it, mm -hmm. or even here's a low sugar recipe all through our app. Wow. So that's one use case of it. And what's really great, Amazon's really focusing on sharing our stories with mm -hmm. the world. So they're providing us a lot of speaking opportunities at some of their conferences, some of the events that they're sponsoring. Wow. Um, they're also pairing us with their solutions architects. So in addition to our team building this skill, mm -hmm. we have access to the Amazon resources to make sure our skills will actually pass all the approval. And it's just building a community. Because now, what it means to me is that with a company as big as Amazon investing in us, it's really opening the door to more diversity in tech. Yep. And in many industries because now 
I might be someone in the future who can give a referral to another black founder who's trying to get into tech sure. or using my connections to really help someone advance in their career in tech. Sure. I'm using this as a platform to show people and other corporations that black people have many talents and yep. they have the education to really accomplish something big yep. if given the opportunity. And I think that's the biggest reason why a lot of people aren't reaching their potential is not really because they don't have the brains to do it. Mm -hmm. They just aren't given the proper opportunities and resources to get there. So with this Amazon funding, I think it can really open doors for myself, but also for more founders and get them the opportunities they're looking for. So congrats once again on that. This is uh, the Secrets of Silent Success podcast. So I would ask you, Romy, what is your secret to success? I would say my secret to success is really staying educated, keeping up with all the trends within my industry. Because when you look at a lot of these other companies as they're innovating, sometimes others are waiting for something to happen before they jump and make that change. So. By me understanding what's happening at the right time, I'm able to stay one step ahead of everyone. And also, it makes me seem to be a lot more innovative because I'm not afraid to take that risk. Because you might fail or you might succeed, but if you don't take that risk, you'll never know. And if you do fail, now you learn something that can help boost you to the next level next time another opportunity arises. Awesome. Well, that's all I had. Uh, I appreciate it. it, man. Thanks. Yeah, it was fun.